Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Some interesting research has landed this week, which provides further proof that New Zealand is already one of the most efficient producers on the planet. Jump onto Ag Research's website to have a read. I will be taking a look at this in coming weeks. But one of the things that research found is that net carbon sequestration by trees within farms was significant and equated to 29% of the total on-farm greenhouse gas emissions. The meat processing stage contributed 2-4% to of the carbon footprint, while post-processing was 2-6%. to Despite the long shipping distances involved, New Zealand beef and sheep meat supplied to international markets have a full life cycle carbon footprint at the lower end of other published estimates. It can also be shown that eating red meat two to three times a week over the course of an entire year is just under the carbon footprint of a single passenger's return flight from Auckland to Christchurch. Food for thought there. This week on Factum Agri, I have New Zealand's Agricultural Minister Damien O'Connor join me to talk about the current challenges farmers face. He joins me now. Thank you for making time today, Damien. Are you making your way to the NZ AMP show in Christchurch this week by chance? Look, I'm not sure whether I can. I'm off going offshore again uh, on Saturday, and so uh, I'm rather tightly constrained. But uh, hopefully, I can. I've certainly tried to get there every year, um, mm. and you know, valuable show. And of course, great to be back and and having the shows up and down the, around the country. Yeah, it certainly is. It's great to have them back. Damien, why did you reduce the coverage of sequestration in the government's proposal when your own modelling showed a potential 20% reduction in the sheep and beef sector as a result of afforestation and agricultural pricing? Uh, it doesn't show a 20% reduction in the sheep and beef sector. What it says is a reduction, possible reduction in net revenue. Um, and as we know on any farm, revenue can go up and down because of a whole lot of things, environmental changes year to year, um, prices and everything. So that doesn't mean that those those farms go out of production. So I completely reject uh, the assertion that people have made uh, and extrapolation from um, the documents. Okay, so you're saying that what other people have been saying are completely false? No, what I'm saying is that, that it does not say that there'll be a 20% reduction in sheep and beef farms. There will be a reduction under the modelling of net revenue. Now, how individual farms deal with that is is up to them. We don't like to see a reduction in anyone's income, um, but we're working through a challenge here, which has been before us for 25 years, of how we reduce our emissions in a world that is increasingly demanding a focus on emissions reduction. And we we are, you know, some of the best farmers in the world, and and we have to stay in that position to to ensure we have the premium prices needed to to pay for um, you know the cost of production, the transport, the marketing, all of the things that go into a successful farming uh, system. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to make any changes to what has been released? Look, if you've read the document, um, there are questions in there because it's a consultation document. Of course, 
we're prepared to make changes. That's mm-hmm. why it's out for consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's always been there. And the questions around sequestration are obvious. If you look at Herr Walker's proposal, they point to the need for more scientific work on some sequestration and the fact that some of it may not be able to come in um, to any system until 2027 because of the need to go through this. We, we agree with that. And so the proposal was to come back with those areas that are ETS uh, creditable and, and then to look at other areas. I personally have a view that we should be measuring soil and trying to get it into the system. But okay. to be eligible for the ETS, it has to meet certain standards, standards that are not um, – that, that relate to international standards as well so some of the things like like windbreaks and that you know do blow over and, and if you look at individual trees and i think technology will allow us to measure all of those trees on farm um, probably in the near future then the issue of making sure that the system doesn't make it so onerous to to then have to uh, refund back when a tree gets blown over uh, in, in a, a nor'wester. So we're trying to keep the system reasonably simple, but include as much sequestration as scientifically provable. And, and as Hewaka, as the Climate Commission and, and as government has said, there's a, the scientific work still needs to occur in this area. So we haven't rejected any sequestration. It's mm. just that the process of credibility to go through. Um, okay, with the impact of afforestation and agricultural emissions pricing essentially falling heavily on sheep and beef farmers, there is a feeling from many farmers that they are the sacrificial lamb. Have you got anything to say to farmers on that? Look, I mean, it's a kind of a crazy statement around sacrificial lamb. Um, look, we, we've all been trying to work through this, as I say, for 25 years. And, and Hewaka was the industry's proposal. You know, that is that we gave industry leaders a couple of years to work through they went out and consulted widely with farmers and got the feedback uh, there was talk of a you know processor levy and then back to a farmer levy and mm. so you know things were kicked around and pretty robustly debated and so we got Hair Walker's proposal went through it looked at some areas where clearly around pricing and and around that issue of scientific proof of sequestration we, we, we still had not resolved. That's where you will see questions in the, the consultation document because those things have yet to be finalised. But clearly, uh, given our international obligations, governments ultimately are responsible for the liability. And we just have to ensure that our domestic system of, of you know, encouraging emissions reduction, um, you know, is fair. And, but ultimately, um, it, it's working. And I guess that's where the price setting is really important. We need to know that it, it's a sufficient incentive to encourage people to take up the technologies that and mitigations that might and, and will become available. Mm. Um, it appears the government has been slow to put meaningful limits on forestry offsetting and the Climate Change Commission is already saying too much is already happening. And of course, we are the only ones to allow 100% forestry offsetting in our ETS. What's going on there? Yeah, look, I, you know, I don't think any of us are comfortable with with um, all of that forestry planting. And I've gone back and had a look at, you know, some of the figures that, that we had uh, over the last three decades, in fact. And, you know, sheep and beef area, we've, we've had a 12% reduction from 1990 to 2000. 
uh, a 13% reduction in the next decade and a 15% reduction. We've had land use change across our country for a long time, and we're still at a lower level of afforestation than we had in the peak of the late 1990s. And so we, we just have to keep that in mind. And we the intervening on on farmers' right to sell land to who they like, this is to, to Kiwis, is something that any government's reluctant to do. And you know, if if we were to directly intervene, and we'd be trying to find the right balance between clearly the signals that are necessary, um, but not uh, overimposing on on farmers' rights to sell. And it's not been government selling. Remember, these mm. are farmers selling their properties. And to people who want to put them in trees, and these are Kiwis who want to put them in trees. And now the ETS is something that you know that that was something that farmers actually asked for, or they didn't want a, a tax in the early two thousands, a carbon tax. And so ETS has been endorsed by both governments, National and Labor, um, as the best way forward. Now it is complex, um, and it does have variable, you know, carbon price. And at the moment, you know, it's high. Um, and some people are speculating on that, and, and that's why they're planting trees. Kind of normal commercial behaviour, um, you know, and there are lots of things that happen in our economy that we're not comfortable with, but, you know, governments don't intervene unnecessarily. Sure. If it's all about emissions reduction, of course, why are we allowing big emitters to essentially plant forests, lock them up and walk away? Isn't that essentially just dumping pollution on farms? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's in part true. And I guess that some of them have no options, say the aviation industry at the moment. There are no, there's talk of, you know, some biofuels, but, you know, probably a wee way off. Um, and, and so for some like that, where there are no other options, that's all they can do. And I guess if you come back into the farm system, that's why, you know, there's 95% discount on emissions charging, because we don't have, um, you know, an ability to switch biological systems overnight, but there are emerging technologies. And so the levy and the money gain from, from the system we're proposing will all go back into agriculture to help speed up, um, you know, that, that research and development. And there are some really exciting projects. I visited one in Boston um, with a joint venture with Fonterra. And so, so there's a lot going on around the world. And, and I've just come from a conference where food security, you know, very important issue. But right alongside that was emissions reduction and because climate change is affecting how we produce our food. And and unless we can reduce the increasing impacts of, of climate change, these events are happening more frequently around the world. Unless we can do something to reduce that, you know, we will have less food security uh, in, into the future. Yeah, and you said you're right on food security. Do you think you're getting the balance right in, in that area? Because, of course, food production is an ever-increasing resource that is needed and a significant earner for this country. Farmers feel they are celebrated on one hand, especially through a, the pandemic for the good work they're doing, and on the other, persecuted and lost through constant change in the policy goalposts. Have you got any nuggets of gold or or something you can give to farmers today to reassure them that the government is prepared to continue working with them for better outcomes. Look, look, we have been, and you know, people who use the word persecuted don't help. Um, you know, we've been working through these challenges. The Clean Streams Accord, if you look at water quality, goes way back. You know, quite some time, mm. and yet there were still areas that that you know we had some problems, and and we saw the pictures. Of, of winter grazing um, in some areas where, you know, it was just abhorrent. And those images don't don't serve us well. And so we had to move to try and make sure 
that doesn't continue. And in this last winter, you know, wet winter, there's been an amazing improvement. And, and everyone has to be complimented for, for what would be a challenging time. So we can do it if we really try hard. You come back to, of course, we've acknowledged and supported the farmers, you know, in many, many ways. East Triple F, um, you know, working on on opportunity grows here, helping people skills, changing the, the, the training system, um, you know, for people so that they can get all the skills, whether it be shearing or other things in agriculture. We've been working and acknowledging that. Um, but but we can't stand still. And some of these issues have been around. Uh, the emissions won for 25 years. People have sat on their hands and it's made it harder because time has moved on. You know, we've seen the impacts of climate change even here in New Zealand. Droughts on the West Coast, we've got floods, you know, in places we've never seen them. We can't bury our heads in the sand and we've been trying to work with the farmers. He Waka Ekenau was the industry's, you know, consultation and development proposal around the best solution here. It wasn't governments and we're simply responding and tidying up basically their proposal. Do you think there's an element that uh, you know, some are saying, well, farmers need to actually be brought into the 21st century and be and catch up with other industry? Is there an element to your thinking along those lines? Well, I just want to make sure there's a good, sustainable, viable, profitable future for farmers. And, mm. and you know, that's future generations. And, you know, that's why we're change, making changes to the DERA legislation to ensure that Fonterra, as, as our biggest dairy company, you know, ha, has a viable future so that... Uh, Milk can be taken from farmers and, and they make good profits into the future. We've been doing all of these things to try and make sure there's a good future. You know, some people are arguing, you know, for for a better present. And, you know, that's great, but it can't be at the expense of the future um, because, you know, without, um, you know, the system, the infrastructure and the right settings for, for a better future, we won't be able to encourage people into agriculture and we need to. And, and one of the challenges has been, you know, it's getting harder for people to, to, to buy land, younger people, and, and whether that's discouraging them from coming in early on, I don't know. Those are one of the, the, the discussions that we have across the sector all the time. And we see more amalgamation of farms, and that's good from an efficiency perspective, but it does mean there are less opportunities for young farmers to come into smaller blocks and, and work their way up. And you know, I guess if you've got an airline buying up 20,000 hectares to plant pine trees and, and leave it, which certainly outstrips sheep and beef returns, how on earth can a young couple get a look in there? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, And, and so um, who's been selling to the airline? Um, you know, That's the question, isn't it? Yeah, but of course, I guess that comes around the settings, right? Settings in the ETS in order for that to happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, you know, the ETS wasn't my preferred uh, option, but farmers rejected the alternative. And, and you know, the ETS is, is now in place. And so we have to work with that. And we're trying to ensure that the settings, you know, don't don't skew um, land use decisions. But it's really hard to intervene and say to a New Zealander who's selling, do not sell to the other New Zealander because we think it should stay in a sheep and beef farm. I've been putting a lot of effort and we put a lot of money into the wool industry to try and, you know, to, to supplement the income for sheep farmers um, because, you know, it's been costing them and it's just been a ridiculous situation. Um, farmers voted down the wool levy. You know, that that's mm. meant that it hasn't been enough focus on the opportunities in wool. We're trying to restart that. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing to try and boost the incomes and the sustainability now and into the future, you know, for all farmers. Do you think there's a future for coarse wool? 
Yes, absolutely do. Absolutely. You know, look, it's a it's a renewable, biodegradable product that can that has multiple uses. People think, you know, it can just be put into carpet. And, and unfortunately, we haven't been kind of lifting our our our, our sights and our, our uh, mind to, to all those potential uses. There's yeah, been a do, lot of work going on. Some of it's ready for development, and that's what we're supporting. Does the government use New Zealand coarse wool in carpet and insulation in New Zealand housing? Um, no, I don't know. We don't specify what they should or shouldn't. We've left that up to, you know, uh, to some of the government agencies. We're certainly ensuring that they have more sustainable um, and, and systems, life cycle system analysis of that. Um, some is going in, not enough in my view, and I think that's another thing. That's where the wool industry has to, to get alongside all those companies, uh, whether they be private or government sector, that are building houses and ensure that they can use wool. Mm. Damien, I know you're busy. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me today. No worries. Thanks very much. I thank the Minister again for his time. It was pleasing to hear that the door is not shut on continuing to work with farmers and industry to get a fair outcome for New Zealand farmers. I believe if we really care about supporting our most important sector, and there is consensus around 2027 being a date for when sequestration can be accurately measured, why are we not waiting until then to introduce the emissions levy? If total on-farm sequestration can be accurately measured at that point, then Hey presto, we have an accurate on-farm net emission profile. And he's right in saying we need to encourage young people into agriculture and into land ownership. Farming is in our DNA, and that should be harnessed. But how is that going to happen in the future, when polluting corporations are allowed to swallow up land at a premium, plant trees, and walk away? How does the young farmer get a look-in? Simply put, 100% of offsetting in this country has to go. If current policymakers really care about encouraging young into the industry and indeed rural communities. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.